Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, it is the 3rd of December, which means we are in Luke chapter 3. Where in the word are you today? Here at Faith Radio, we are in Luke chapter 3. We are reading through the gospel of Luke, a chapter a day, uh, during the days of December leading up to December the 24th, because after all, there are 24 chapters in the gospel of Luke. We'd love it if you would join us reading through the Bible. We've got a daily podcast that uh, supports the the reading we've got a free downloadable study guide written by my precious colleague Angela Smith and so we would love for you to join us go to myfaithradio.com it's certainly not too late to jump in today is Luke chapter 3 because today is well December the 3rd yeah we didn't want to do something that was like hard math <clears throat> so Luke chapter 3 very succinctly accounts for uh, the moment in world his- history that the two babies whose births were described earlier in Luke arrive at adulthood. So that would be John, known as John the Baptist, and Jesus, uh, the Christ. So these two babies are miraculously uh, conceived and, and born, and they come on to this geopolitical and religious scene that is, frankly, a hot mess. So Luke tells us who the political and religious powers are who were in place. He sets this at a specific point in history because, after all, Luke is writing an orderly account. And so he's got this uh, guy named John who starts preaching a message of repentance. Um, He is directing his prophetic ire at not only the Romans but also the authorities among the Jews, and he gets himself into, uh, into a mess quite quickly. Verses 15 to 22 provide... um, a very compact synopsis of John's life and ministry and what Luke clearly considers the highlight, which is the baptism of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to spend some time today in Luke chapter 3. In terms of understanding who Jesus is, um, the passage uh, is very, very illuminating. Um, Recalling what Luke tells us about the conception and the birth of John— Remember, John's parents are Elizabeth and Zechariah. We read about them in the first chapter of Luke. Um, When we consider his upbringing as a Nazarite, when we consider the purposes uh, for which he is born and and lives, those are all great conversations to have today with your kids and others. You know, I don't have a a Zechariah and Elizabeth and a John in my nativity scene, but I feel like we should. Like, it's kind of weird that they're not included uh, in the presentation of the creche. And so, I don't know, we might add them this year in my family. Um, As we prepare ourselves to receive the great and good gift of God's love that comes at Christmas wrapped in the human flesh of Jesus, we spend time thinking about the people who prepared the way for his ministry. It's also a really good day, I think, to turn and read what the other gospel writers have to say about John the baptizer, um, and certainly to remember the circumstances of John's death and the grief of Jesus when 
John was beheaded for speaking the truth to power. Um, What Jesus says about the place of John in the kingdom of heaven, all of those things might be an interesting conversation today. Uh, In in Luke chapter 3, you're going to read about the baptism of Jesus by John, and then you're going to read um, the first century genealogy of Jesus. Now, let me just tell you, Luke's Luke's genealogy of Jesus would make Ancestry.com jealous. That's right. Luke tells us the generations of Jesus all the way back to Adam. That is quite a family tree, my friends. So maybe today would be a good day to find your old family Bible. Look at your genealogy. Uh, You say we don't have a family Bible. This is the year you should start that tradition. Um, Write your family tree in the front of the Bible. How far back can you go? Where are the people of faith in those branches? Um, And and how do you intend to extend the faith of your family to the next generation? Reading uh, Jesus' genealogy in Luke also um, brings a particular Advent practice into view, and that is the Jesse tree. Maybe that is something that you and your kids or grandkids would want to uh, think about adding to your Advent traditions. All right, Adam Holtz is up next from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. We're going to talk about, among other things, Christmas with the Chosen. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. And he is about to tell me whether or not Christmas with the Chosen has already become the highest grossing Christian movie. I don't know. They've already grossed more than $8 million or something. Like, I feel like that just completely blows. Oh, maybe it doesn't. It looks like The Passion of the Christ is maybe $622 million. All right. It has a ways to go. I was my math is bad. All right. Sorry. There you go. All right. Uh, but it's just opened. Tell us about Christmas with the Chosen. It is in theaters. I think it's pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting. <laughs> and the record that you are talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, you are half right. Uh, it has set a record. It's the biggest. I feel good. Fathom, hey, let me just say, fathom... let me just say that this morning, I feel pretty good about being half right. Hey, you know, so I'll take a... half right most of the time. Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. What's the what's the record? It's the biggest Fathom events release of all time. So Fathom Events is a company that sort of rents out – well, it doesn't rent out theaters, but it's a special releasing organization. It's usually a limited release. A lot of times Fathom is one or two days. This one goes through the 13th at this point, and they they keep adding more days because they have sold so many tickets. So if you want to go, you need to get your tickets now to have a shot at doing it. So what is it? So – this is The Chosen, uh, a Christmas special. And, you know, back when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, there were always sort of these variety show Christmas specials that popped up every year. And maybe they still are happening, but I don't watch enough broadcast television to know. Um, <clears throat> and so what it is, is it is a bunch of Christian musicians performing Christmas carols, both classic and new And these are all musicians who have been impacted by The Chosen. So they talk about how this series depicting the life of Christ has uh, has really impacted their life. So I'm talking about Phil Wickham for King and Country, and the list just goes on and on and on from there. It's about an hour and 15 minutes of music, and then we get about a 45-minute new episode 
of The Chosen called The Messengers. And this episode focuses on Mary and Joseph as they journey on the donkey, well, as Mary's on the donkey, toward Bethlehem for the birth of Christ. And then arriving there, not being able to find lodging, ending up in a stable. Uh, We watch as, as Joseph literally shovels manure out of the way to make room for the birth of, of the savior of the world. And if you have seen any of the chosen episodes, you'll have a pretty good, you know, idea of what the overall feel here. There's a, there's a gritty intimacy to it. I mean, we, we hear them talking and it made me think, huh, I wonder what Joseph and Mary actually talked about on the road to Bethlehem. I've never had that thought before. And so you know, she doesn't want to ride the donkey. She wants to walk, but he wants to protect her. And and obviously, this is not stuff that's in Scripture. It's an imaginative dramatization of what, you know, what it may have been like. But what I love about The Chosen is how it, it sort of gets those creative visualization juices stirring a little bit and prompts you to think about a familiar story in a new way. So if you're a fan of The Chosen, I feel like this is a slam dunk if you can get tickets Uh, And if you like the Christian musicians who are playing, that's an added bonus. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, How about A Boy Called Christmas, also reviewed at PluggedIn.com? Yeah, A Boy Called Christmas is another really lovely Christmas story that actually has nothing to do with the real story of Christmas at all. It is set in Finland and things are dark, things are dreary, things are pretty desperate. Uh, but there is this basically a legend of a place called Elfheim, uh, where it's, you know, the happiest, most hopeful place on earth. And so a man named Nicholas, wink, wink, get it, Nicholas, sets off to find Elfheim and leaves behind his son. Um, actually, Nicholas is the son, my bad. But the dad sets off for Elfheim. Uh, and of course the dad doesn't come back. So Nicholas has to make his own trek to Elfheim to figure out what the score is. And this is all, you know, tied into the myth of the beginning of Christmas. So here's what I like really, really great messages about courage, about faith, about hope, about love. And those things all sound pretty biblical and they are, except the Bible and Jesus are nowhere to be found in this. It's ultimately a very secular story or secular fantasy uh, in which Jesus plays no real role at all. Um, So, you know, I I suppose it's not that different really than many of the Christmas stories we have about Santa Claus. Um, But it, it makes you a little bit sad that a story that's so engaging is also so ultimately devoid of anything that has to do with the real meaning of Christmas. So that one is uh, streaming on Netflix. And if you are of a mind, you can watch it right now. Yeah. And um, yeah, there you go. Uh, Okay. So for those of you who are asking, yes, Christmas with the Chosen is eventually going to be released for free as um, all of the pieces of uh, of the Chosen available um, for free eventually. So it's going to be free. It's just not free right now because right now they're doing it in theaters. All right. We got to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. We're going to keep reviewing um, some of the movies of the day. I'm going to specifically ask him about one called 
passing that's getting a lot of media coverage in the secular world. We'll be right back. All right, uh, I am going to skip over a conversation about the movie Silent Night because, well, you should skip over it. Uh, And we're going to jump to a very quick conversation about Disney Plus's Hawkeye. Yep. Disney Plus's Hawkeye is the latest Disney Plus Marvel Cinematic Universe release. If you're like saying to yourself, Hawkeye isn't that guy with the bow? Yep, that's him. But uh, Marvel is in the process of sort of handing off a number of its most famous characters to the next generation. And this is a story where Hawkeye... Uh, is not really Hawkeye anymore, and he has a young protege who takes up that mantle. Her name is Kate Bishop, uh, and she is smart and rich and precocious and prone to getting into trouble, and uh, she kind of masquerades as another guy named Ronan, who is another Hawkeye character. It's complicated, but uh, she gets into trouble, and the first Hawkeye has to come to her rescue and then sort of becomes her bow and arrow superhero vigilante-ish mentor, helping her to learn the ins and outs of becoming a bow-wielding uh, superhero. So there you go. All right. If you if you want to stretch the analogy, it's a uh, it's a movie about discipleship. How one generation teaches the next right. generation the ways they should go. All right. How about Hit Monkey uh, on Hulu? <laughs> uh, Hit Monkey. It, like, at first you have no idea what it means, and then you take one look at the picture of this animated show, and you see a monkey wielding a gun and uh, wearing sunglasses and looking like a mobster, and it becomes immediately clear that this is a show about a monkey who is an assassin. Full stop. <laughs> so okay. it's on it's on Hulu, which is where Marvel puts its slightly more adult stuff that it doesn't want to sully the Disney Plus brand. So you've got a lot more content in Hit Monkey than, say, Hawkeye. All right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the movie Passing. Um, yeah. I, I heard this discussed on, uh, I think it was probably NPR as I was driving. And so talk with me about this movie because it feels like there's something here for Christians to talk about. Yeah, I think there are a lot of things here that Christians could talk about. It's set during the Harlem Harlem Renaissance, which I didn't really know what this was, but it was a period from the 1910s to the mid-1930s or so during which African-American creative culture in Harlem was exploding. So there was this kind of pocket of, of Renaissance. Um, and this is a story about two very light-skinned African-American women. And the term passing is a term that specifically means a black person who is light-skinned enough that they can pass as white, that you might not know that they're African-American. And so one of these women is named Claire. She is married to a white man. She has a light-skinned child. um, And he doesn't know that she is black. Um, and he is quite racist. And then there's another woman, uh, named Irene who is also passing. And it really is a story about their tension of longing for the privilege and the freedom from racism that they can experience because people think they're white, but they're longing to connect with their actual racial identity, especially as, 
racism is a big issue and it is impacting people in their world. So it's that tension of identity of who am I? Where did I come from? Who do I aspire to be? And if I want to be something that I'm not, or if I'm pretending to be something that I'm not, um, you know, how do we deal with that? And one of the characters says, we're all of us passing for something or other. And so it gets at the theme of what lies do we tell about ourselves? What lies do we want other people to believe about us so that they accept us? But what is the cost to our souls of not telling the truth about who we are? So, man, I think it's it's rich with with conversational possibility because those are themes that apply beyond the issue of race. So lots to talk about with this one. Yeah, um, not least of which, what it looks like and means to uh, be passing as a Christian. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> there I, you go. I'm, I'm going like to I'm gonna get like my to... sackcloth and mm-hmm. repent and just go tear it and repent now. So there right? we go. <laughs> I mean, no, but I mean, I, I just not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like Jesus is actually concerned that we are who we confess to be if we confess him as Savior and Lord. And it's not okay to just be passing as Christian. Like, that's just, it's not okay. So it's a, it's a, I think, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's a great movie to get us talking about things in the culture that we need to be talking about. Um, the 1910 yep. uh, Harlem Renaissance is probably something a lot of us could learn more about. Um, yeah. And then, you know, what does it, you know, like, are these conversations we could have with some of our African-American friends, neighbors, and people we go to church with? Like, does this in your, do you know about this? Is this, how does this, how do you feel about this movie? Like, let's go to a feelings right. level with people. Like, it's no, a great conversation all starter. sorts of possibility for conversation here. And it's PG-13, which is nice. I mean, there's, I think the racism that we see in some ways is the hardest issue to deal with here. But it's Mm -hmm. accessible. So often with these artistic movies, we get a lot of really graphic R-rated content. And this one doesn't have this. So it has the added bonus of being pretty accessible without too many caveats. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, cinematically, uh, watch the lighting. Because apparently the lighting and the angle uh, is a huge deal in this movie. Even how a person comes down a flight of stairs and how they are seen and how they see themselves. There you go. Yep. Um, uh, descending and ascending the stairs is something to watch for. All right. Uh, you have a, a piece on Plugged In called Social Media Use Linked to Depression in Adults. We don't have time to fully unpack it, but I'd love for you to tease it. Well, we think of social media as a teen problem, but there's also research that says that it impacts adults negatively in terms of mental health as well. So that's what I unpack in that blog. All right. Social media, not just a problem our teenagers have. It's a problem we have as well. And it is leading to a rising uh, percentage of depression in the culture. All right. Adam Holtz, as always, thank you so much. You guys can read what we talked about today and so much more at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. The story of the baby in the manger. How confident are you that you could retell the biblical story of the conception and the birth of Jesus as recorded in the scriptures? How confident are you? Give yourself a percentage. You 100% confident? You could get all the characters, locations, timing, sequence. Maybe you feel 90% confident. 80? 
70? Hmm. Only 22% of Americans actually feel like they could accurately retell the story of the birth of Jesus as recorded in the Bible. 90% of Americans are going to celebrate Christmas. That's a pretty good gap. We're going to talk with Rebecca McLaughlin next. Her new book is, Is Christmas Believable? We're going to talk about the baby in the manger at Bethlehem and whether or not it's just another made-up fantasy or is it true truth. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. Oh, the things we do to give gifts to those we love. But we would do it all again. The fact is, we do it all again every Christmas, every birthday, and every so often. We find ourselves in foreign territory. The grown-ups are in toy stores. Wives are in the hunting department. Husbands are in the purse department. And we do the most unusual things. We assemble bicycles at midnight. We hide new tires with mag wheels under the stairs. One fellow I heard about rented a movie theater so he and his wife could see their wedding pictures on their anniversary. And we'd do it all again. Having pressed the grapes of service, we drink life's sweetest wine, the wine of giving. We are at our best when we are giving. In fact, we are most like God when we are giving. This is Max Locato. This, this is Christ the King Whom shepherds guard and angels sing Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin has a Ph.D. in Renaissance Literature from Cambridge University, a degree in theology from Oak Hill College in London. Um, She served for a number of years as the vice president of content for the Veritas Forum, spent almost a decade working with Christian academics at leading secular universities. She is now a regular contributor at the Gospel Coalition, and she joins us today with her brand new book, Is Christmas Believable? Rebecca, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Great to be here. It's lovely to have you. So, um, I like to look at the dedication page in answer to the question, who did this person really write this book for? And so Mm. I would like for you to introduce us to Carrie, because you say even atheists have a manger scene. Oh, yes, this is fun. So when I was um, offered a couple of different options for the, the cover for Is Christmas Unbelievable? I think there were four options they gave me. I posted them on Facebook. And I asked my friends which they like best. And I said, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I would especially like your feedback. And a friend of mine who is another mum at the, the public school my, my kids go to, she commented um, this one, which is the one that the book now has, because, quote, even atheists love a manger scene. And Carrie is one of, of the, the many folks in this country who grew up in a somewhat Christian family. And now and she, as I said, would describe herself specifically as an atheist. My guess is that most who've grown up in Christian families and then no longer see themselves as, as actual believers in Jesus, may not use that sort of hard-edged term of atheist, but certainly don't consider themselves to be you know, fully-fledged believers in Jesus. So I wrote this book really for those folks who think that Christmas just is unbelievable, that, that Jesus maybe didn't even exist, that the gospel accounts of his life are certainly not credible, and that he is not who he claims to be, this, the Son of God made flesh. Wow, I'm so glad I asked that question. Um, I feel like you live in the real world, 
um, you know, you have kids, they go to school, you post things um, on Facebook. You're a real person. <laughs> right. You're not just like a, you know, smarty pants, ivory tower person. And so, no, that those points of connection really help us because that's who we are. That's where we're living. You know, I got to mm-hmm. go pick up a kid at school at 11 o'clock today because now they've decided they got to clean for COVID, even though there's no COVID. Anyway, I mean, where we are. Right. So I'm just saying like, right, like life is real and it moves fast and it's yep. complicated. Just this week, Lifeway Research released um, these stats. And I I think this just so aligns with what you just shared with us about Carrie. 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Mm. Um, But only 22% say they feel like they could accurately tell the story of the birth of Christ as recorded in the Bible. That's a Mm. pretty huge disconnect. Atheists, even atheists love a manger scene. So Mm. when Mm. we talk about the questions that you're raising in the book, um, was Jesus even a real person? Can we take the gospel, gospel seriously? How can you believe in a virgin birth, and why does it matter? Why these four questions, and let's walk around in them. Mm. Yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of people like the idea of Christmas, and they may almost intentionally not really ask themselves, is this true? They like the, you know, they like the baby in the manger. They like the angels, the shepherds. It's 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 fun and heartwarming in a wintry cold, especially I live in um, New England and Cambridge, Mass, and it gets really cold here. So you know, it's nice to have something to to feel fuzzy about in December. And, and what I wanted to do with this book is to say, okay, let's actually turn our faces to look at the the hard questions that might pull Christmas out of our hands, actually, if we take them very seriously. And let's rather than just think of Jesus as sort of a, a, a nice idea that we give, uh, you know, a little bit of time to in December, let's look at the the hard reality and see, you know, is this, are the claims of Christmas ones that actually deserve um, believing? Um, so, so the first one, you know, was Jesus even a real person? Most people in America would say that they think that Jesus was a real person. Um, a, a significant portion would say he wasn't. And I, I don't know about you, but I've often had conversations with folks who are not Christians where they've at some point said, yeah, but I mean, how do we even know that Jesus was a real person? As if the, the, the doubt about that, the perceived doubt about that means that they don't actually take Jesus seriously. Mm. Uh, the fact is there is no doubt about that. I mean, even um, atheist scholars would agree that Jesus was definitely a real person. E- even if we set aside what the Bible says about him, there are multiple references to Jesus's life I mean, very early on from people who didn't even like Christians. So this idea that you know, maybe Jesus did or didn't live, who knows, is actually naive and um, lacks sort of academic support. So I wanted to, to look at that first and say, yeah, there really was this, this first century Jewish man who uh, claimed to be the, the Messiah, the Christ, the, the, the long-promised king, um, who was executed under the rule of Pontius Pilate, he was subsequently worshipped by his followers. You know, the, the basics of Jesus' life we have even non-Christian sources. So let's sort of clear that out of the way. And then let's look at, you know, can, we, can we really take the gospel seriously? And I think a lot of folks have this idea that the Bible, um, you know, for example, the gospels were, were written a long, long time after the events they record, that there have been multiple generations of retellings, um, oral tradition that probably got messed up along the way. Sometimes people compare it to the telephone game. You know, you start with one message and it goes around, you know, whispered around the, the circle and comes out completely different. So I wanted to look at that question and say, actually, no, the Gospels are written within the lifetime of eyewitnesses of Jesus's life. And they very specifically present themselves as being based on eyewitness accounts. Um, you know, if you look at the beginning of Luke, that's what he says. 
if you look at John's gospel, the last written down, um, John is claiming that he, he himself is an eyewitness of, of Jesus's life and ministry. Um, Mark's gospel, the first written down, was the, the memoir of Peter, written down by Mark, one of Peter's sort of followers. So we can actually take the gospels very seriously in terms of how close they were in time to the events that they record. Yeah, I love um, I love thinking of the Gospel of Mark as the Gospel of Peter, and that's a that's a great conversation um, to have with people because then you can go read the letters of Peter in conversation with that, and it's just it really that's very very helpful. Um, let's take a very brief break, and Rebecca, when we come back, let's um, let's talk about maybe the biggest question in a in a culture that is uh, you know sort of embracing scientism. How can you believe in a virgin birth? I'm going to ask that next to Rebecca McLaughlin. The book is, Is Christmas Believable? We are giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing. We'll be right back. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? So this is evidence that I can be looking at something and saying something else. The book is, Is Christmas Unbelievable? And I have been saying all morning, Is Christmas Believable? <clears throat> but the book is actually, Is Christmas Unbelievable? And we are giving away copies. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies we're giving away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Rebecca, let's talk about the third question you deal with in the book, and I think the biggest question that I deal with in terms of skeptics, and that is the question of the virgin birth. How can you believe in a virgin birth? Mm. I think for a lot of people, they would say, yeah, I mean, I, I think I believe in God, but a virgin birth is sort of like a supernatural bridge too far. It's <laughs> you know, getting too weird. And, and I see people are coming from when they say that. At the same time, if you, if you think through that statement more carefully— you realize that if there is a God who made the universe and every human being in it, it's actually not at all illogical or irrational to think that he could have made one human being in a very particular way. It's actually, it's a bit like saying to Simone Biles, um, I know you're the greatest gymnast of all time, but I bet you can't do a somersault. In terms of the, the actual sort of miracle content of the virgin birth, it is extremely trivial from, from God's perspective. Now, the extraordinary thing is that it was God Himself becoming human, not not actually the, the Virgin Birth itself is is sort of you know yeah miraculously um, very easy for God. Um, the the Son of God Himself taking on human flesh is is a massive deal. Agreed. But when when we're just talking about the the miraculous piece of it, um, and then there's the the question of science that you mentioned earlier, and some people say, well, you know, a couple of thousand years ago, people weren't, weren't naive. They believed all sorts of stuff. They didn't have the insights of, of all the science that we have now. So whereas it might have been credible when Matthew and Luke were writing about the virgin birth, it's not credible today. And there I'd say, well, 2,000 years ago, people also knew the facts of life. Like, <laughs> nobody thought that you could just have a baby without a father as a, as a you know, normal part of life. And, and today... I know some of the, the top scientists in the world, actually, uh, whether they're in, in physics or, or biology um, or, or chemistry. Um, I know some, you know, some of the top folks in the world are places like Harvard and MIT, who also are serious believers in Jesus and, and do believe that he was born of a virgin. So the idea that modern science has made it impossible for us to believe that actually doesn't stand up at all. And, and what happens, um, you know, at the point when 
because we have figured out as people how to manipulate things in such a way that, you know, we can we can make the stuff of babies um, without a mother, let's say. Um, I just I just think that actually science and technology gets us closer to the miracle, not further away. I mean, I do think that um, I think we're getting closer to the miracle, not further away from it in terms of its believability. And people believe all kinds of nonsense. And so I think we can, I mean, we can point to all the things that people do believe um, and, and say, okay, so people think that this woman walking in the elfin woods is, uh, is channeling Jesus. I mean, like, and they're paying her $1,100 an hour to sit at her feet. Like, I mean, are you kidding me? So that they can talk to the dead. Like clearly people believe all kinds of things today and, you know, and fork out, uh, you know, hard earned money, um, to access it. So I think that, uh, it's, it's no less believable. In fact, it's far more believable to believe in a virgin birth. Um, than to yeah. believe in many of the other things people believe in. I think that's right. I, I think we're actually right to be sceptical in general of miracles. Um, I, I think we're right to have a very high bar for when we would say, yes, there is something happening here that is beyond or, or different from the normal course of science. But I think that the miracles that we are given in the Gospels are ones that, that stand up well to scrutiny. I, I don't think they're just sort mm-hmm. of um, you know, crazy stuff that people believe because it's, isn't it nice I also don't think people sometimes say, well, only Matthew and Luke talk about um, Jesus's birth. Uh, Mark, the first gospel to be written down, doesn't mention it, actually. So maybe this was just something that was made up later, a sort of mythological backstory for this, um, you know, preacher who'd become uh, superhuman in people's eyes. But actually, if you think about that, the the very earliest writings we have about Jesus, some of uh, Paul's letters, major on the resurrection, and without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no sort of early Christian movement. It's a bit like, you know, Romeo and Juliet without Juliet. Doesn't, it's just not a thing. So Christianity without the resurrection isn't a thing. We had the very early accounts of Jesus' resurrection. And so this... hmm. Did we lose her, Paul? Disproportionate. It doesn't make any sense. Sorry, my back. No, that's okay. You're back. You're back. All right. We are talking with Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin. We're talking about the book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Um, We probably have time for for one more uh, question and conversation here. When when you think about this time of year, I mean, we are in what my family would call the season of Advent. We're actively preparing. We have a wreath. We have, you know, we're adding the characters to the scene as we come uh, across them in the stories that we're reading in the Bible, we have a calendar that we're counting down. It's an actual Advent calendar. It's not like all of the secular versions of an Advent calendar. Um, it, are people more open in this time of year or less open to hearing the actual Christmas story and the gospel? Mm-hmm. I think people are much more more open, to be honest. I think there is a, a piece of, of all of us, even those of us who um, don't go to church or participate in any sort of active religious um, groups that that longs for and desires something transcendent and something that will give real meaning to our little uh, mediocre lives. And I think at, at Christmas, we have the opportunity to connect with people and to offer Jesus to them as the answer to their yearnings there. Um, and one of the things that I, I, I've tried to do in the last chapter of my book about, you know, why does it, what difference does it make? Why, why would it matter whether Jesus was 
um, born or not, is to look at quite how much we lose, really, if we're honest, if we stop believing in God and if we pull Jesus out of the sort of moral um, structure of our lives, because we actually lose far more than people realize. And so, so helping people to see that it, it's actually a massive difference. It makes all the difference in the world, whether the Christmas story is true. And, and that should have an impact both for those who, who are not believers and for those for those who are, and, and maybe it's not making as much difference in our lives as it should. Hmm. To help you better understand um, the answers to the questions, the critical questions related to Christmas, was Jesus even a real person? Can we take the gospel seriously? How can you believe in a virgin birth, and why does it matter? Uh, the book is Is Christmas Unbelievable? We've got some copies to give away today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Uh, the author is Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, one more question before we let you go. Um, when you when you think about the environment where you live in New England and the academic institutions in which you serve, give people a sense of of hope because we often only hear negative things. And you have alluded in this conversation to the reality that there are believers um, who are thinking people and they are serving in higher ed. Mm, oh, absolutely. I live a short walk from MIT, and I know dozens of Christian professors at MIT who aren't just sort of, oh, well, you know, I was raised Christian, and so I guess I'd check Christian on the census if somebody asked, but who are very active believers, who are leading Bible studies, who are taking every opportunity they have to speak of Jesus to their um, highly sort of pagan uh, friends and, and colleagues. I don't know one just last week. Um, or down the road at Harvard, I, I know fewer Christians at Harvard, interestingly, because there are often more Christians in the sort of engineering science side of things than there are in the um, more sort of uh, arts and humanities focused side of things. There's a fascinating guy at um, Harvard School of Public Health named Tyler Vanderbilt, whose whole research is on the religious, uh, sorry, the, the physical and mental health benefits of religious participation. And his yeah. group has shown that actually people who go to church every week are, for example, as much as five times less likely to kill themselves than folks who never go. They're less likely to suffer from um, depression. Um, they're, they're more likely to be hopeful about their lives. They're less likely to have some multiple kind of physical problems as well, interestingly, that there are um, measurable benefits to us being involved in church um, that you wouldn't you wouldn't guess at that from um, what the public narrative often is, where it's you know, only religious things must all be sort of psychologically unhealthy. All right. I um, I love what you're doing. I love the way that you're doing it. I so appreciate um, not only your willingness to come and share with us today, but what you're doing every single day. Um, am I going to pronounce it correctly? At Vocable uh, Communications. <laughs> right. Is that right? Vocable? That's right. Yeah. And you pronounced my, my last name correctly, which is Vocable. So well <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, the book is, Is Christmas Unbelievable? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. I wrote down the name, Tyler Vanderweel. I think we're going to have to go get him, right? Doesn't that sound super interesting? All right. So... Um, who else should we be talking to in the new year and about what? I'd love to hear your input, your ideas. You can always text them to me at 877-933-2484. Who are the, you know, I don't want to say this in a way that's going to sound pejorative, but like who are the average ordinary Christians out there who are making a, sub, a substantive difference? Like 
Who do you know that's pressing the full force of their life into something in your community, um, in your city, in your neighborhood, in your public school? I mean, like, things are changing because this person is applying the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. I want to know who they are, and I want their contact info. Uh, You can text me that info at 877-933-2484, or you can always email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Be on the lookout today for divine appointments that God has set. Remember, God has already prepared in advance all the good works that he has for you to do today, and he has fully equipped you for those good works. So we got to be on the lookout for the divine appointments that God has set, and then we got to find ourselves faithful in the midst um, of them. All right, have a great day. I've loved our time together. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.